DW Africa Link Welcome to this week's edition of Story of the Week on DW's Africa Link. I'm Kai Nebe. This weekend, Africa's heads of state are meeting in Addis Ababa in Ethiopia for the 37th African Union Summit and Business Forum. But the continental body has had a rough start to 2024 amid worsening regional violence and democratic backsliding among members. We'll take a deeper look at those issues later. But first, DW's Jane Yinge has the world news in brief for us. DW News Welcome to the news. My name is Jen Nyingi. The prison authorities in western Siberia say the Russian opposition leader Alexei Navalny has died in prison. A spokesperson for Vladimir Putin said the Russian president had been informed of the 47-year-old's death. Navalny, a staunch critic of the Kremlin, was arrested in 2021 when he returned to Russia after receiving medical treatment in Germany for what medical tests showed was enough agent poisoning. DW's Yuri Rushenko with more. Well, what we know so far is that Navalny allegedly collapsed while walking in Penal Colony Number 3 in the Russian north. Apparently, he suddenly felt unwell and couldn't no longer be rescued. Uh, an interesting detail, maybe, uh, during his lifetime, Navalny's name was almost never mentioned in official news. President Putin also never mentioned his name, but spoke of a blogger or a Berlin patient. Uh, this time, Russian news on state television was interrupted and announcers or speakers reported the news of Navalny's death. Germany has pledged another 1.1 billion euros to help Ukraine. Chancellor Olaf Scholz made the announcement alongside Vladimir Zelensky here in Germany. The new funds add to 28 billion euros that Germany has already promised. Berlin will also supply military equipment. Scholz and Zelensky signed a long-term security pact against future Russian aggression. And we're going to support our Ukraine partners in their effort to build up modern forces in order to repel any future attack. And should another Russian attack and aggression come about in the future, we have uh, agreed upon detailed support. Nigeria's President Bola Tinubu has appointed his son-in-law as the head of the Federal Housing Authority, sparking concerns about nepotism. Oyetude Ojo is married to Tinubu's eldest daughter, Folashade. This is the first time President Tinubu has appointed a relative for a position in the federal government. This news is coming to you from DW in Bonn, Germany. In India, tens of thousands of farmers are on the march to demand guaranteed minimum prices for their crops, debt relief and policy reforms. The farmers began moving towards Delhi with a column of tractors and trucks earlier this week. And Britain's opposition Labour Party have picked up two new seats in the stunning victories over candidates of the ruling Conservatives. Labour candidates Gen Kitchen and Damien Egan won their contest by wide margins. Observers say this double victory suggests Labour is on course to win national elections later this year. For more news and information, head on to our website, dw.com forward slash Africa. My name is Jane Nyingi. Thank you, Jane. 
Now, heading into the summit, the African Union is facing questions over its ability to nudge its member states towards embracing the AU's democratic ideals, or at the very least, hold the world's second biggest continent towards some sort of democratic vision. Particularly in focus is democratic backsliding by member states. Last year was bad enough. There were nine attempted coups across Africa, with those in Niger and Gabon being successful. Possibly even more painful to watch has been the recent events in Senegal. The West African state, one of the AU's oldest members, has for decades been a democratic, civilian-led nation, in a region grappling with military rule, as seen in Mali, Niger, Guinea and Burkina Faso. Amid protests and increasing government repression, Senegalese President Macky Sall decided to postpone the February 25 election, thereby plunging Senegal into its worst crisis in decades. Parliament eventually approved the delay until December the 15th, but only after security forces stormed the building and removed some opposition lawmakers who opposed the bill. Then, on February the 15th, the nation's Constitutional Council overturned the postponement of this month's presidential election, a historic decision that has opened Senegal up to a realm of uncertainty. I asked DW's Maria Gert Nicolescu in Dakar how the latest developments have impacted the mood in Senegal. Well, there has been widespread uh, concern that Senegal's democracy is currently um, facing a backslide following the postponement of the presidential election. So for many Senegalese, this election delay is an attack on the constitution and therefore an attack on democracy, on the state of law. Another concern voiced by many uh, is that um, which are the true reasons for which Macky Sall agreed to postpone the vote. The request was initially made by the Democratic Party of former President Abdoulaye Wad, but many, um, even within Macky Sall's own, own, own party, say that the president uh, had seen estimates showing that his candidate, uh, current Prime Minister Amadouba, may lose the election, and that this motivated him, at least partly, to delay the vote. Um, and if all these things are true, then obviously we have a president who's refusing to let his side lose, who wants to gain time, which poses, of course, problems for democracy, even though he himself confirmed he will not run uh, for a third term. As far as I remember, though, uh, with Macky Sall, it, it took a while before he actually confirmed that he would not uh, run for a third term. But leaving that aside for now, um, uh, Macky Sall is heading to Addis Ababa for the summit of the AU. Do you think that there's a sentiment among the Senegalese that there will be some pushback at the AU summit uh, regarding his uh, regarding um, Macky Sall's move to postpone the election? Well, I think the people who are against uh, this election postponement, uh, and there are many of them, are expecting generally the African leaders and their international community more broadly to condemn what's happening in Senegal, to publicly show that this is not acceptable and that Senegal is not enjoying more tolerance than other countries in this regard, especially in West Africa. Many are going... Uh, as far as to compare the army coups which have which we have seen in West Africa, for example in Niger or Burkina Faso, to what they call an institutional coup by Macky Sall. In reality, it's not really surprising that African organizations have not taken any sanctions uh, yet. The situation here is extremely confusing at a political level, and Macky Sall is repeatedly uh, saying that he doesn't want to stay in power. He wants to ensure stable elections, and officially he, won he wasn't even the one to propose the delay. So this rhetoric is probably also what has led 
to quite vague international reactions. We have several countries and organizations such as the UN or the CDAO, uh, which is the Economic Community of West African Countries, uh, voicing concerns, saying elections should be held swiftly. But for many here, this is not enough and doesn't do justice to what they see as a way for Macky Sall to maintain himself in power illegally. Yeah, I find that quite interesting, the point you raise when you say the people here, because uh, from what I can gather from far is that, you know, the, the many Senegalese have taken this as actually an affront, not to them, uh, not to themselves personally, but to them and as as a country, because you know uh, Senegal, of course, does have a long uh, repu- a long history and reputation of uh, peaceful democratic change, going back to the days of uh, Leopold Senghor, and that. I get the feeling that it's a thing where, you know, they're saying, like, what are you doing to our country? You know, how how, how are we letting this happen? And um, do, you, do you think that this level of anger, you know, that this frustration with 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 Sal's move, um, did, he, did he expect this level of uh, protest to come about? It, it's not even that people are necessarily supporting his opposition, but the fact that he would do something like this. Well, it's difficult to say what Macky Sall and his circle were really expecting or what the discussions and anticipations entailed ahead of the announcement uh, that election that the election was postponed, um, which he made on February 3rd. But people had immediately started calling for popular mobilization against this decision, and there were police forces on the streets ready to prevent groups from protesting, uh, even within hours of the announcement. And these types of protests are really not new here in Senegal. Uh, Many were expecting the election postponement to cause unrest in the country. This is a major political crisis unfolding at the moment. Um, Previously, we had already seen protests nationwide in June uh, or even in 2021 in support of opposition leader Ousmane Sonko, who was accused of rape. And interestingly, if you look back to 2011-2012, when former President Abdoulaye Wad wanted to run for a third term, there had also been a massive protests against that. And at the time, Macky Sall was his opponent and condemned the decision. So I don't think these protests, uh, this frustration, uh, are a complete surprise, especially because many Senegalese are proud of the stable institutions that they have. They're known to be proud of their democracy. And this is the first time since the 1960s that a presidential election was postponed in Senegal. And so people want to preserve a positive image of their country, and they are ready uh, to show their discontent. Now, if we look broader uh, across the West African region, um, ECOWAS, um, you mentioned uh, you did mention ECOWAS earlier. Now that regional organization has faced severe headwinds, um, not least because of the decision by Mali, Niger, and Burkina Faso to um, exit the regional bloc. Is there a feeling, perhaps, among Senegalese that you know Senegal is the last sort of stable francophone partner in the regional community, and if the de- if democratic backsliding happens here, there is not much left then. Well, there's absolutely the feeling that Senegal is one of the rare stable democracies in West Africa. Uh, People here are very proud of this. They are very aware of what's happening in other countries, and they are willing uh, to fight to preserve this uh, current image of Senegal. This is not to say that there have never been setbacks, but generally speaking, when we see the military coups, the jihadist insurgencies in other countries in the region, Senegal stands as an example of peace. And at the same time, Macky Sall has been also, uh, on the other side, 
vehemently criticized for moving more and more towards a repressive way of ruling. Uh, he's been accused of instrumentalizing the justice system to get opponents out of the way. Uh, he's been accused of jailing activists. Uh, the police forces here have been accused of targeting protesters, uh, pressuring journalists, and so on. So I think many people would also warn of painting a too rosy picture of the country, or at least of its current government. But it is sure that international partners uh, rely heavily on Senegal's stability for economic and diplomatic uh, relations, ties in the region. And many are therefore following very closely uh, the situation here in Senegal. Yeah. And just finally, before we sign off, um, Maria, you are covering the, the, this topic day in and day out as a as a journalist in um, in Senegal. Now, I just wanted to ask, like, what type of um, adversity are you facing? I mean, we obviously have issues connecting to you because of uh, internet blackouts and that sort of thing. But have you noticed a market change in how uh, perhaps a government forces are, are dealing with journalists such as yourself or indeed people on the street? Um, I, I would say personally, as an international journalist, uh, I haven't faced any major changes um, or challenges except, as you mentioned, the internet blackout is obviously a logistical uh, challenge. Uh, I know of colleagues who, who have been, uh, you know, intimidated by police forces during protests. Um, the thing that I've faced a lot is the fact that protesters are very, or, yeah, protesters in general are very scared of being filmed and recognized on the photos because there have been situations where uh, the police force apparently arrested people from recognizing them on videos. Um, and so people are really very reluctant to, to be filmed, photographed, or sometimes even to speak to journalists uh, during protests. Um, I do have to note, though, that Senegal remains, relatively speaking to other countries in the region or on the continent, where I've been, um, remains... Uh, a free country for, for relatively free country for international journalists. Now, the real problem are uh, local journalists who face um, much more uh, repression and intimidation uh, than we do. There have been recently a TV station was, um, was closed for a few days. Uh, there have been journalists uh, taken to prison. There have been uh, journalists intimidated uh, and so on. And so they are complaining a lot that the situation is getting worse because Senegal was known for its free press. It was known uh, for, um, for being tolerant towards uh, journalists, towards criticism to, to the government. And this apparently is changing now. I was speaking to DW's Maria Gat-Nicolescu in Dakar, Senegal. Now, Senegal aside, the continent's biggest economy, Nigeria, has in recent months faced the continent's biggest economic crisis, under a year after President Bola Tinubu's economic reforms. This included the elimination of fuel subsidies and tight currency control of the local currency, the Naira. Fuel prices tripled and the cost of living spiked as Nigeria's currency slid against the US dollar, inflation rose by almost 30% and foreign direct investment has fallen by 44%. And if Africa's biggest population and economy is faring so poorly, it cannot be good for the African Union. So as Tinubu heads to Addis Ababa under a cloud, what are the most pressing issues that Nigerians want him to bring to attention at the AU summit? My colleague Ben Shemang in Nigeria gathered these voices from Lagos. There is hunger in the land and you cannot mobilize any citizen, any African citizen, 
into a meaningful project, whether it is infrastructure, whether it's terrorism, whether it is war in an empty stomach. So the concentration should be on how to provide enough food for the po- uh, people of Africa. I think to count security is the first thing because when there's security, our farmers will go to farm, they'll be able to go for the farm. But because of your insecurity and uh, terrorism and kidnapping, people are, cannot go to farm. That is what brought about food scarcity. But the majority challenge we're having currently is insecurity and banditry. So once these issues are solved, it will also help to bring in foreign direct investment. And for African leaders, I think we need to try and see how we can all unite and stop people apparently leaving the ECOWAS. Because as we have the issue now on um, Nigeria stopping us from flying their airspace. I feel they should give attention to education because the children we have nowadays, they are not given priority. That is why you find out that most of them are involved in the atrocities they commit these days. They have the time to get themselves involved in kidnapping cases here and there. The focus should be more on security in Africa. There are many flashpoints in Africa. There are crises in DRC Congo. There are crises in West Africa through cases of uh, interborder and military regimes in uh, Mali, Burkina Faso, Niger, and other areas. There should be peace in Africa for the required development on the continent. Thanks, Ben Shemang, for those voices in Lagos. Hunger and security then seem to be chief among citizens' concerns. But is the African Union even capable of formulating an action plan to address these pressing issues? Many critics point to the body's reliance on foreign funding, especially from the European Union, to function. Even more poignant is its muted stance on conflict in its host country, Ethiopia. After the Ethiopian civil war in Tigray ended in 2022, there have still been consistent reports of civilian killings in Amhara state by Ethiopian military action. I'm now joined by Professor Machari Monene, international relations expert at the United States International University in Nairobi, Kenya. The reality is that um, Ethiopia is the host of the African Union, previously the Organization of African Unity. That had sentimental value to it because uh, the position of Ethiopia held in those days, despite its other ambitions. Uh, Since then, we have had um, 60 years of activities, and uh, the contradictions now begin to play out very, very well. And so there may be some feeling somewhere whether Addis Ababa is the right place to be the continental headquarters. And that is a problem in itself because agreeing on the next place, if it has to move, is is going to be a tough one. So convincing uh, first... Uh, Ethiopia uh, to behave in a more acceptable manner to almost every country. It may not be able to do that, but at least make the effort is going to be a difficult one. And so some countries may have some problems relating to Ethiopia as the headquarters due to some uh, Ethiopian activities and behavior, especially recently when it was uh, accused or at least implied it uh, could entertain an accessionist uh, uh, behavior towards Somalia. Uh, it's a difficult situation uh, how to be to be the headquarters for everybody and yet appear to be fair to all of to everyone. Right. Now, Professor, I think another thing I would like to maybe touch on is that the, one of the biggest challenges, I guess, facing the AU is, I would almost say that 
you know, the African Union Union stands for unity of Africa, but there seems to be more and more, I don't know, fragmentation, perhaps, uh, you know, talking about uh, in West Africa, ECOWAS, where um, three members, Niger, Burkina Faso and Mali, all stepped out of that. There are problems in the East African community. The biggest problem, it seems, is how are, how is the AU going to encourage countries to stop, um, how would you say, democratic backsliding? Well, uh, the um, democratization and other ideals, these are ideals. Uh, then uh, as an organization and the members themselves, sometimes they lack legitimacy of telling anybody else something because they themselves have problems within themselves. Uh, the, and they don't agree on exactly what uh, that democracy or the, the right uh, move uh, would be uh, because of the differences that are inherent in each of the country. And, but these are not new. And some of the divisions we saw were uh, the, uh, whether or not to honor the colonial borders and uh, things of the sort, the colonial institutions. Or some people would have said, let's change all of them. Others will say, no, you can't afford to do that. So what we've been having uh, in recent uh, months is a revulsion or a rebellion against some basic understandings of the 1963. Uh, you mentioned places like uh, Niger, Pekina Faso, and um, Mali getting out of the ECOA. And ECOA was a, an organization that came after the AU supposed to be building bridges which then can move up into the African unity to, to, to find ways of kind of cre creating some sort of a continental confederation uh, that might be desired at the end. But that continental confederation is very far from reality, realization, in part because of the divisions within uh, regions themselves, and not to mention the continent as a whole. So different perceptions. Uh, hindrances to the ideals. But the ideal still remains there as an ideal. Right. You see a lot of leaders saying, yeah, we believe in this, we believe in this, but when it comes to the, the nuts and bolts, uh, they uh, hesitate. You, you've, you've mentioned a few times now that the African Union and its values represent ideals, um, but yes. perhaps you could say, what could African Union members perhaps do themselves in order to make these ideals become more of a reality? Well, they could use the, their border posts as one mm -hmm. way, but the gestures have been there. And uh, But when it comes to implementation, you can see they, they hesitate. Uh, even within the East African community, in theory, we, we are all free to move anywhere we want within the region. But uh, the, in the reality is that there is a border post somewhere where people are being stopped and uh, sometimes being declared illegal. Uh, uh, people in the area, they have moved up within the region. So the ideals are very good because you talk about them as something to aspire. But when it comes to the selfish interests of each of the country as perceived by the president and the, leader, the government leadership, then you have a problem. Which then brings me to the point about the policies are really the wishes of the president and his government. So when you have a different president 
who disagrees with whoever was there before, the ideals can be neglected and put aside, except for when somebody making pronouncements outside the continent or to other people to sound good. But when it comes to practice, uh, they're not even practicing those things themselves within their own places. So it's a problem. Yeah. Um, but it's, they could make effort yeah. uh, to ease the border post, let people flow in and out. Uh, and then that will increase um, commerce, the mutuality, and trust. Right now, there is a lot of distrust across the board. And creating that trust is a problem in itself. Given that the leaders themselves don't trust each other, even within East Africa. In light of the fact that the AU has not managed to push through a lot of its its ideals and its its goals, do you think which which of those regional blocks do you think is closest to actually um, uh, achieving that? Well, the East African community has come very close, uh, and maybe that's the reason it's been expanding. It started with three countries; now it has about eight. And even Ethiopia has dreams of joining it. So there is a magnet in the East African community. We notice in the Air Corps, it's kind of shrinking instead of expanding. But the East African community is expanding. SADC is kind of stagnant and um, has this problem of uh, all the others being kind of surrogates or subservient to South Africa, uh, which in itself is a problem itself. Um, but SADC is also attractive in that it includes some countries like Tanzania, which is also in the East African um, zone. But of the, those uh, groupings, the East African community appears to be the one that's most sustainable and uh, seems to be doing its best uh, more than um, the ECOA can claim. Uh, SADC sometimes looks very effective in some things. But in, uh, in others, then it looks as if it's an extension of Europe. Uh, I mean, the particular South Africa behaves as if it's an extension of Europe uh, in Africa. So there are those dynamics that one has to consider. And um, of course, there is an umbrella commerce which cuts across regions. So uh, to your question, I think East African community uh, stands out a little more than the other regional bodies. Even if the East African community is making positive strides, it is still wracked by extreme violence, particularly in the Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo, where clashes between the Congolese army and well-armed militias like the M23 movement and other factions supported clandestinely by neighboring Rwanda and Uganda have made civilian life a misery. Our correspondent in Goma, Zanem Neti, met some civilians who have a special request for Congolese President Felix Tshisekedi. In his speech, I would like our president to say that he has already denounced enough. And now he is taking the decision to act without asking for anyone's point of view. As the supreme commander of the army, President Shisekedi has yet to guarantee the security of the population because the life expectancy of a Congolese is 24 renewable hours every day. I'd like the president to talk about the details 
deterioration of the security situation, as well as the direct involvement of Rwanda and Uganda, let him also speak of the government's determination to put an end to this long cycle of massacres of our populations. Let him also call for sanctions against the Kagame regime. Denounce Western interference in African affairs and its involvement in the crisis in Eastern DRC through member countries of the same organization like Uganda, Rwanda and other countries that contribute to the aggression of a member country of the African Union. We also ask the head of state to present the serious violations of international humanitarian law perpetrated by member countries. I call on our president to boycott this summit because we are at war. I don't see why he can continue to take part when we are being attacked by other African countries like Rwanda, Uganda and Kenya. I urge him to boycott this African Union summit. Zanem Neti bringing us those voices from Goma. Now, Professor Monene, coming back to you. As someone who has been closely following the African Union for decades and seen what does count as a realistic expectation from the summits, what would you want your president, Kenyan leader William Ruto, to appeal for? Well, it's difficult to say, but um, I wish he could persuade and he should lead by example uh, to increase the level of trust and self-reliability. Right now, he himself has a problem of being independent in terms of economic uh, performance. And uh, he he has problems domestically uh, with uh, some of his policies. So if you can persuade every country to create trust within itself so as to relate to others in positions of confidence, um, it would be good, but I doubt whether that will happen given the, the hostility and suspicion that each of these uh, hold. And, uh, but sometimes um, Rupert tries uh, to sound pan-Africanist. And sometimes um, he flounders and, um, on the arena of practice to those ideals. Okay. Now, if he can convince his friends that then he'll be making a, the right move forward. That's all for Story of the Week. I'm Kainebe. Take care. DW. Made for Minds.